Let's thank the worship team for leading us this morning. You guys can grab a seat and get your Bibles opened. Um, my name is Brian Beamens. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, just so thankful uh, to be in God's house on God's day and just get God's word open. And not only uh, just meet God in worship, but now uh, to have God speak to us through the work of his word. Um, a few things before I pray and jump into the message. First, um, today is the day we are actually concluding our Sermon on the Mount series, okay? I know, I know, I know. Some of you were sad, some of you were clapping. I'm just kidding, I kind of set you up. Um, but, uh, but I mean, this, is, this has been a journey for our church. And um, the timing of this and this Kingdom Culture series has been uh, just a, a deep, deep encouragement. And I'm going to um, uh, try to uh, just sort of tie some loose ends together by the time we get to the end of the message. But I'm just so thankful for that. But before we jump into this sort of last passage in this uh, series, um, I just want you guys to know how excited we are for what's coming in the uh, next sort of week and a half. Um, as we've uh, told you guys about, we have this um, Life Action Summit Conference that's going to be coming. We've never done anything before like this in our church. Um, it is going to kick off next Sunday morning. Um, Normal service times, then on Sunday night, we have um, a gathering, a time of worship, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. There's a, a women's luncheon on Thursday, uh, a, a special time on Saturday for our families, followed by another weekend of Sunday services and sa- Sunday evening. And so all the information, mychristchurch.org slash life action, just want you guys um, uh, just to just to come out to that and come and be encouraged and come to be stirred up with the things of God and the gospel. And uh, we just really believe this is going to be a huge investment in spiritual formation in our church and uh, hope to see you there many times that week, whatever you can come to. But more than just gathering for those services, what we're asking um, God to do is we're asking him to show up and through the work of his spirit, bring the change that only God can bring. Amen. And so in light of that and in light of this uh, final passage in the Sermon on the Mount, let's pray together before we jump in. God, thank you for uh, what you have done and your uh, culture of your kingdom is so sweet and there is something in the follower of Jesus Christ that can discern it and know it and want it more deeply. And I'm asking God as we, as we close out the teaching of this series, I'm praying even now that the impact of the series would continue, that it would continue to stir our hearts, that it would continue to guide the way we approach the things of God, the church, the, what it means to be a follower of Christ, that there would be a weight that it has and a seriousness in our approach to it. So God, I'm just asking that you would work powerfully. I'm asking that you would work powerfully in everything that's happening uh, through the Life Action Summit Conference. Would you uh, draw the people that are showing up this week and, uh, and prepare their hearts to lead our church and our children and our students and our adults. And I'm asking God that you would work powerfully in that. And as we come to this last message, consider the words that you had for uh, your followers at the end of this sermon I pray we'd lean in, we'd learn, and that you would do the work in our hearts that you want to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, hey, um, as many of you know, um, I grew up, um, not in Michigan, I grew up in a very small town, sort of northeast of Kansas City, Missouri. And in a preparation for this message, you'll understand it a little bit more as I go, um, I, I, I called my mom up and I said, Mom, do you have a picture of our childhood home? 
The home I grew up in, I spent all of my childhood there from like three till I graduated high school. And I said, you buy any chance of a picture. Now, the, the picture she sent me is sort of got this like red look to it. It looks like it's from the 1940s, okay? I am not that old, okay? And how dare any of you assume that. But here's the picture um, from my growing up. There it is. Now, there's my childhood home. There, um, that's me and my uh, little brother, David, in the back of my dad's pickup truck unloading wood. I'm not sure what was going on, but that's my house that I grew up in. It was an earth contact home. That's why there is dirt and grass on the top of the house, and uh, that is what you see up there, and, uh, and it was literally built into the side of a hill. It was made out of concrete, the walls, the floors, the ceiling, all of it, and as I was looking at this picture this week, it dawned on me, I grew up in a hobbit home. <laughs> I was like... I mean, if I was five foot with like hairy feet, you guys would be like, see, they're real. <laughs> they still exist. And, um, and it just kind of dawned on me, like my house was kind of weird. And there was like a normal looking doors and windows on the front of it, but in the back of it, dirt and the roof, dirt. And so really easy to get on the top of my house. And, um, and so here, here's the thing though about, about the house as I sort of lead into the passage. One of the things I remember so distinctly about growing up in this home was is that it was extremely secure regarding wind and rain. Like, the entire house was made out of rock. Like, near earthquake area, not so good. But, but the foundation, the walls, the ceiling, all of it, we were, were literally rock. And we lived in Tornado Alley, in the place where we lived. It was right there, right from where Kansas goes into Missouri. And uh, tornadoes came through all the time. It was a regular occurrence every season, every year. And when other people experienced tornadoes, what they had to do was, is they had to either go into their basement or go outside of their home into tornado shelters that were literally holes, kind of cellars built into the ground. And then they had to sort of shelter away from the tornado. Not my family. My family, my dad was just to stay away from the window, and we would literally sit in chairs in our living room and watch tornadoes come through. All of, I mean, stuff would be being thrown everywhere, trees would be bent to the left and to the right as the tornado would come through, but we were completely secure inside of our home. Just front row seat to some tornadoes. And, and that was the situation in the way we grew up. They were safe, safe and secure. It was never threatened by wind or flood or rain. The security of my childhood home in the midst of storms is an excellent example of the kind of life Jesus wants his followers to build by hearing his words and doing them. When, when, the, when the unpredictable, certain tornadoes or storms of life come, are you in a home that is built on an insecure foundation, or is your life secure like my childhood home, built on a solid foundation? So if you've got your Bibles open in this last passage, look with me and follow along and you'll understand this picture and why it was so important as we understand this message. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. 
And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We articulated a few weeks ago now that the section from uh, chapter 7, verse 13, all the way through the end of the passage, really is highlighting that every disciple, this is the big idea over all these weeks, um, every disciple must commit everything to follow Christ. And Jesus highlights in these passages, and this one that we're finishing with, he highlights two options that, that they must choose. And so the first week of this sort of sub-series was two ways, embrace the constraints of Christ's way, and two trees. We talked about how you're supposed to evaluate what you hear taught about God. Then we had Easter, and then last week, two claims, emphasize maturity and in your intimacy with Christ today two houses, examine the foundation of your faith. And I really simply just want to give you two actions that if you live these out regularly in your life, under the work of the gospel, under in relationship with Christ, based on what Christ has achieved for you on the cross and through the resurrection, that what he's wanting to do is consistently take your life from an insecure foundation to a secure foundation. And this process he wants to have happen in every area of your life. So, first, this. Build wisdom slowly. Jesus gives the blueprints for a secure foundation. Wisdom is is biblical knowledge and information and truth carefully applied to your life to where you're living it out. That's what I mean by wisdom. Build wisdom slowly. We want secure foundations, not rushed foundations. No one wants to build their life upon something that's been impatiently built, do we? So there's two instructions on the blueprint of the foundation. The first instruction right there in the word, verse 24, then everyone then who hears these words of mine, hearing is first. Now, Now hearing... Hearing is more than acknowledging that someone is speaking. Okay, let me just, let me just make sure we understand that it's more than just, I, I acknowledge that there's noise coming out of someone's mouth or there's something that's being communicated to me. It's got to be more than that. This is a really good lesson, not just for you and God, but also for you and your spouse, you and with your kids, you and anyone listening. Doesn't come great to our culture. Here it is. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hearing means you are paying careful attention to what is being communicated to make sure you are gaining understanding. Now, let me just repeat this again. Let's let's stay on this a bit because our culture is terrible at encouraging hearing. If you're like, you know what I want is I really want to grow in the quickness in my angry response our culture's wonderful at teaching you in that. Just, just stay immersed in the culture. They will just shepherd you to quick, angry responses, no problem. If you also want to uh, just live distracted all the time, where you kind of hear half of what people are saying, but you're always just distracted by the thing that's in front of you, our culture's phenomenal. Like, they will grow you in that so naturally and beautifully, you will be an unbelievably bad listener. Our culture's So good at that. But biblically, look at the definition again. Hearing 
means you are paying careful attention to what is being communicated to make sure you are gaining understanding. Notice here, it's not just hearing anything. He says, almost with a sense at this point in the sermon, almost with a sense of affection, who hears these words of mine for you. These, these are the words of God. Like, a disciple of Jesus Christ who's given everything to follow Christ should, should have their heart and mind so attuned to the words of God that when the words are spoken, particularly the words of Jesus that you see here, like it should have a weight on your mind and your heart and your soul. That's the first instruction on the blueprint if you want a secure foundation. Hear these words of mine. Then second, do what you heard. The word do here but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do means simply that you live out what you hear. You, you perform a course of action that, that what you hear from God sort of becomes the guide of your life. That's what disciples do. They strive to model their life after the truth. They're like, based on what this says, this should shape the way that I live. And, and you take what you hear from God carefully and purposefully and you're like, how? Does God, through his spirit empowering me through the work of the gospel, want to apply this to my life? And you're willing to apply it to the way that you think, the way that you respond, the way that you speak. You're willing to receive God's word and let it shape your perspectives on the world, your expectations, and the way that you act. A disciple can't, can't say they follow Christ, but then hear what he says approve it like, that's nice. I love what you said. That's so sweet. And then do nothing with it. It's just not consistent. When truth has a disciple of Christ is truly received and then valued, you will, you will want to move that to the center of your life. You, you can't rush at this point because a solid foundation is being built. It has to be formed over time. Knowing actually how rock is formed in nature can be really helpful um, to, to get an understanding of what Jesus is communicating here. And so, you know, I, I did my best. I didn't get like an undergraduate degree in geology or anything, but I just went to Google and was like, how is rock formed, okay? So forgive me for maybe some inadequacies in this explanation, but here's what I gathered. The predominant type of rock in the Middle East was formed... It was a sandy sort of arid environment. And so uh, the rock would be formed when small fragments of rock had broken off or been worn down by the weather or some natural occurrence, either small fragments of rock or small fragments of organic material. When it's removed from their source and then moved to a new location, and then over time when those fragments become pressed down, not in days, okay, Rock doesn't get formed like that. Solid foundations don't get formed that quickly. But purposefully over time are compacted and compacted and compacted. That's when they actually begin to form into something solid. And you have rock. That is a perfect picture for what God wants to do with his truth in your life. Think about it. Any person here who's 
experience life from a solid foundation. This is one of the glories of being in a church with multiple generations is there are people in our church who have followed Christ faithfully for decades. And when wisdom is built slowly over time, you hear the truth of God's word. That's the other source, the other location. And then you slowly gather as you learn from God's word from a variety of ways and you start to gather these small sort of truth fragments Differing sizes and different weight and impact, and, and they move from the source of the Bible, and you move these fragments to a new location into your mind and your heart, and then over time, through the work of God's Spirit, there's a, a, a powerful move of compacting that into your heart and then into your life. And you start to see through the circumstances of life and the work that the Spirit does, you start to see the truth pressed tightly into your life and it forms a new, solid foundation over time. You build your life on this foundation. The knowledge of God's will applied to your life over time, it builds biblical or godly wisdom. Build wisdom slowly. So so how does this happen? Like, how can, how can this be a reality in your life just like it's been in mine? Well, I, I don't know where you're at or how long you've been walking with the Lord, but I want to serve you this morning simply and clearly. How do you gather truth fragments? How do you get them from God's Word and put them into your heart and compact them down over time? How do you let the truth set up in your life and form a foundation? Well, let me just assure you that this is where that your encounter with God's word has to be more than just hearing sermons on Sunday, and it has to be more than just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible gets it to your mind, and honestly, that's a really great first step. And when it gets to your mind, there's an affirmation even that you can have, like, that's that God's word is amazing and maybe there's something that strikes you and, and you're like sweet and maybe you, you, know, you, you put it on a wall or, or you write it down somewhere and you remember it, but God wants more for it than that. He wants it pressed from your mind down into your heart and through your heart out into every aspect of the way that you see and live. He wants it way deeper and stronger than just known in your mind. And so here are some actions that we oftentimes talk about in the church, but they're the actions that form truth fragments into rock, into solid foundations. Words like meditating on Scripture, words like journaling, words like memorizing keeps the Scripture right in front of you so that you can apply it to your life in different places. Now the truth is starting to solidify. Now you're starting to have an engagement with the, the living, breathing Word of God. The most, one of the most helpful practices, we've talked about this in our church in the past, and I want to put it in front of us again. You got it as you came in this morning, this sheet that says, what is a here journal? I want to talk about this just really simply because I want you to have something practical that you can take because I want you to live this out in your life. And so let's just look at it together and uh, you can get that sheet also on our, on our app and under Sunday Connect. There's a place you can download it, get it printed off, get it in your Bible. It's going to be such a helpful tool. It will require that you slow down a bit in reading the Bible. It's got to be more than a checklist if we want it to have an impact in our hearts. But let's just, let's look and let's just make sure you have a clear understanding of this here journal. 
Here is an acronym. It gives us a picture of the things God wants us to do as we walk through the Scriptures. H is for highlight. You walk through Scriptures, you highlight things that God's showing you or a word that jumps off the page or, or some phrase that you just, you just want to learn more about and so you sort of process through that. Then explain is where you just start to make some statements. It's like just reporting on what the passage says and maybe you look at the passages around it and or maybe you find a word in the passage and you, you search for that word and get a bigger picture of what it means in Scripture. And so you explain it. You're like, here's what I believe God is saying in this. Then you ask some good questions. Then apply is A. Apply now is going, how is this passage supposed to change the way that I think about God, the way I think about me, the way I think about my life? the way I live my life. How, what could God be wanting to apply to our lives through this passage that I'm reading? And then R is just respond. Now it gets personal. Now you're starting to maybe write out some pra- lines of prayer or, or some things that, that the Spirit of God's convicting you about and you're like, man, I really need this in this aspect of my life. God, help me through your power, through your word to live this out in this specific way. Maybe the response is, hey, I need to confess this to somebody and share it with them and have them pray for me and encourage me in this. Whatever it might be. So let's, just, let's, just, let's, let's practice this a bit. So let's just go randomly. I picked this passage out just because it's sort of connected to the, to the passage this morning. But I want to imagine you're reading through the book of James and you come to James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. It's up on the screen for you. So you open your Bible and you're reading through James, which is a great book, by the way. The reason I chose James quickly is because there's places in the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, where they're just bigger truth fragments. You know what I'm saying? There's like, there's like bigger rocks that you can put into your foundation. Some places of Scripture, like some Old Testament books, some prof- prophetic books, yeah, like sometimes you go there and you're like, I think I got one grain of sand. And that's okay. Like, that's good. Like, add that to the foundation. God could do something in that. And there could be some other things he attaches to that foundation. But in James is just full. It's one of the easiest books to find really big truth fragments that tend to be easier to apply and add to the foundation, okay? So that's why I chose James. So James 1, if you came along this and you, you started to highlight things, If you look at this passage, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Pretty applicable to our lives, right? Maybe in highlighting it, you might think, oh, my beloved brothers, I love the tone in which he's speaking to the church. And and you might might notice that every person, every person, so every person, this is applicable to all of us. And you might go quick to hear. Yeah, I could, probably, I could probably be a little quicker to hear. And then slow to speak, slow to anger. And you might start highlighting that. And then you might get to explanation. And you might start writing things down like, hey, God clearly wants us to slow down in our communication. Uh, amen. Yes. That's everywhere throughout Scripture and other places. Now keep it up. Keep that passage up. And then, um, and then, and then slow to anger. Like, I, I want to be... I, I, 
I need to be slow to anger. And you might write down, like, God wants me to, to, to not move quickly to an angry response. And you, you might write something right in the middle of that, like, God help me, our world is doing the opposite. And uh, you might see the righteousness of God, and you might do a search and, and look for some other places in the Bible where it talks about the righteousness of God. And it might lead you into Romans chapter 3 or some other places, and now you're starting to build this, this, this truth fragment that then when you get to now, after applying it, you get to respond, and now you're starting to think through, God, where specifically in my life is this needed? Immediately, you might think of like a conversation you had with a friend in, in, um, in a community group or, 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 or maybe a conversation that was rushed too quickly with a parent or a parent with a child or with a spouse. And you might be like, God, I need to repent of my tone, my being quick to anger, being quick to speak, and now you're starting to work it into your life. You're starting to build this truth into your foundation. It's beautiful what God can do. Every Sunday in our time in the Word, I simply want to inspire you through the preaching of God's Word to do this regularly in your life every day. Because a strong foundation is going to require more than a Sunday sermon. More than a Sunday sermon. And if your life is valuable to you like, I, like it is to God, then you want to get your life on secure foundations. I was talking to Kevin Carr. He's a, a builder in our church. And, and, and he was telling me about how building in this area where it's sand everywhere. Right? We, we love it. We, we love the reality of of this area and where we live, but um, any builder has to walk through careful planning and preparation before they can put a, a house on a sandy foundation. They have to figure out how to make it secure. He was telling me the painstaking process that they have to go through to, to, to cut out the topsoil and then go through this process of cutting down layer by layer and compacting the ground again and again and again. And then they have to lay out where the foundation's going to go and they lay out the footing and then an inspector comes. And it's like, we're just going to make sure this is secure. Before they even pour the foundation. And if it's not done right, it causes major foundation problems and major expense to fix it later. Don't build your life on fragments of truth that have not been compacted into your heart and life. Get the fragments of truth into your heart and compact them into your life as you meditate, journal, memorize to apply and respond to God's word. Then you will build wisdom slowly. And the two, the two parts of the blueprint play out again and again, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Build wisdom slowly. Second, this. Correct weakness quickly. Check this, look in the passage, back in Matthew 7. No one avoids storms. Do you notice that? Like, the life built on the sandy foundation, they face storms. The life built on the rocky foundations isn't like exempt from storms, they face storms also. The storms, as the Bible is so authentic about, not dodging or making it prettier than what it actually is. 
the storms, the, the wind and the rains and the floods are a picture of the, the, the suffering and the, the struggles and the trials that will come in this life. Some of those storms are caused by our own sin, aren't they? Some of those storms are caused by the sin of other people. Oftentimes in relationships, it's a bit of both, if we're honest. Our sin and other people's sin as it works out. And sometimes storms just come through random events outside of our influence. Things like health issues and accidents and victims of crime or natural disasters. You cannot, you cannot correct or avoid random events. But when you experience a storm of any kind, something happens in the midst of the storm rolling through and what it does is, is your foundation will be tested and revealed. And, and, and honestly, in, in the work of God, even the way he talks about trials, the revelation that storms bring can actually be an opportunity for those who understand the way God works in and through trials, it can actually be a grace. Because what it does is it identifies weaknesses in the foundation of your life. It, it, it reveals it so sometimes we can see and rebuild that area of our foundation or sometimes that segment of our life, we just need to tear out the foundation and put a new one in. How many of you have had some foundations adjusted in the past few years? I know I have some big parts of my foundation. Get that out of there. It's not, it's not strong. It's not secure. You know what? Every house looks great on a sunny day. Have you noticed that? House built on an insecure foundation looks solid on a sunny day. Families out playing. Look at our house. It's on a solid foundation. Just enjoying life. But when the rain, the floods, and the wind come, the weakness of the house is revealed. And when an aspect of your life is on a sandy foundation, then when that comes, the fall or the collapse can be great. I hate this reality, but too often it's just true. But I see even in places, other places in Scripture, what God's doing in it. It's this truth. Oftentimes, there are areas in your life and in my life built on the sand and you don't really know until the damage is done. And, and so there's these moments where we're like, what is going on? And we look at the, 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 the water rushing in and, and or, or, or maybe what happened was is we, we, we saw some, what we thought might have been cracks, but we just said, you know, they're not that bad. We just got distracted in another area and just imagine that, that it wasn't as bad as it was and, 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 and maybe that's what we did. Or, or sometimes you, you just ignore a crumbling foundation. You're like, I'm sure it'll hold. I'm sure it'll hold. You just imagine it's not there because, of the, because you get overwhelmed by the amount of work that's going to be necessary or, or counsel that's going to be needed or, or time with God that's going to be required to, to sort of get that right and you just kind of hope that it won't break. But right there, when, 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 you're, when you see the reality for what it is and the water is now literally running into your house, or, or when you're watching the walls start to collapse and give way, 
right there you find out if someone is a true disciple of Christ. Right there you find out if someone really understands the gospel. Because a true disciple of Christ will, will identify the collapse and, and they, they won't run to hide or, or, or hide their face in, in, with, with shame or stay in a place of guilt. They won't rationalize the collapse or blame someone else. The true disciple of Christ that understands the mercy and the love and the forgiveness and the redemption that's possible in the gospel, they rush to God and to his word and to his people and they confess the collapse. And they're like, you know what? Just carefully examine the whole foundation for any other issues because I don't want to live through that again. And they get the counsel necessary to rebuild on a solid foundation. That's the work of the gospel. The follower of Christ does whatever is necessary to correct weakness quickly. Because someone who's walked with Christ for years, they, they start in this place of like, I don't know anything about the kingdom of God or the character of God. And over time, the disciple of Christ is trained by the mercy of God and the conviction of God through his word to know that there are so many areas in your life that need to be torn down and rebuilt. So let's all just be okay with that. Ways of thinking, systems of belief, wrong priorities, unhealthy relationships, financial problems, addictive tendencies, worldly goals. Some of you are like, I've walked through all those in the last week. And again, the mercy of God is sufficient. It could be anything opposed to the heart of God. When I was in Chicago and doing ministry there, I, I remember so distinctly as I was thinking about this, I, I, my wife and I walked alongside a, um, a, a woman who the, the, the best way to sum it up was is she just had had a series of broken relationships and she, she honestly, she just had terrible discernment choosing men. And she, she, while we were around her and were able to see this, she jumped into another relationship and many people around her were like, that's, that's not a healthy situation. And she just pressed ahead and uh, got married and had a child together and a few years later he completely abandoned the covenant of marriage. Many of us saw these things happening well before she saw. And it was tragic and heartbreaking. And they got divorced and, and, and then what happened was is she got to sort of the end of herself. She had seen a previous relationship before that one collapse and she finally got to a place where she's like, I don't have really good discernment on this. This foundation is broken. And she, as she navigated the healing of that, and then um, God seemed to be opening a door for a new relationship that she was moving towards. And at this point, she was like, I, I, I can't make this decision. She got like a council of people around her. Like, evaluate that guy before my heart moves towards it at all. And some of us did and, 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 and met him and asked him some really hard questions that needed to be asked. And, and in the midst of that, what was beautiful is this authentic sort of new relationship came out of the brokenness of, of two foundation collapses. And, and it wasn't perfect. It's a, it's a human relationship. It's a marriage. They all have flaws. But, but, but God brought that relationship together and that couple is still married today. And the work that God's done in that is, is phenomenal. Whatever the situation might be in your life, stop building on sandy foundations Respond quickly to get counsel. 
if you feel like something's not right, it probably isn't. Pride will keep you from responding. It's this, it's this, it's this, this sort of way of thinking that, that is so insidious in this area, particularly. It's this sort of like autonomous sort of West Michigan, I, 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 can, I, can, I can handle whatever comes. I don't want to bring my dirt into and, and have somebody else have to care for me in this. And I'm just going to deal with it on my own. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for, for preaching the Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll take some of these truths and I'll, I'll take care of it on my own. Thank you very much. But, but I'm not going to come in and submit to counsel. I'm not going to ask some hard questions. I'm I'm not going to ask some people more experienced with maybe some wisdom to help shed light on what might need a full rebuild. And it is so insidious in our culture. I've got this. I can deal with this myself. That is foolish. Church, listen. Please, please, please. That is worldly, American, individualistic, anti-gospel reasoning from the pit of hell. And Satan is just standing back when people do that, and he's just like, I got them right where I want them. I have them right where I want them. Autonomous and alienated. Listen, listen, listen. The grace of God is always open for a rebuild or a repair. There is no waiting list on the grace of God towards you. There is no, well, four months and we can get to that. Don't try to rebuild on the sand again thinking the outcome is going to be better. Don't stay in a place of shame and guilt. Let shame and guilt move you to the foot of the cross. Stop believing you can handle it alone. The follower of Christ doesn't reason that way. The gospel truth, the grace of God, leaning on the council within the local church will help you has an awesome lyric that I heard this week teaches. It will help keep your head straight, hopes up, and heart right. Like, like be humbled so you can stop being humiliated. That's the truth of the gospel, and it beckons to you and calls to you. Get counsel to help you rebuild on a secure foundation. Please, please, please. Come more quickly. Come to God. Come to his word. Come to people who you know have been building a foundation for a lot longer. Like, you, you know what God's vision is for his children? I, I love this picture. And as I was thinking about it, my, my heart was literally, there was an affection for God in the way that this has worked in my life. The work of God matures you into an incredibly wise home inspector. Those who have been trained by the word of God, those who have walked through a few rebuilds in their life, they, they have the ability to identify cracks before some people can even see them. They can smell a crack. They can, they can discern when it's even coming. They can look at a, a part of a house and go, that's not right. We need to go deeper. We need to dig deeper and evaluate what's happening at the, at the foundation. And, and, and you have, in the context of the church of Jesus Christ, people and leaders that have, been, that, have, that have walked for decades, that have a proven track record of building strong foundations. And, and listen, listen, here's the thing. I cannot help you with this. All I can do is appeal to you. 
But if you want to know how my life is at the place that it is, if you want to know how so many other people who have this place of, seem to have this place of stability in their life, it is because all the time in my marriage and my parenting and as a pastor, I'm looking for the cracks. I've seen them in the past. Some easily repaired. Some I'm like, I need to get some people in here. We're going to have to hoist the house up and we're going to have to full tear that part out and rebuild it. I could give you examples in the last few years of those things. And I'm not waiting because the gospel says call for the meeting to seek the wisdom. Every one of Christ's words can help you start a rebuild before destruction comes. That's why one of the things we've started in our church is this marriage mentoring thing. I've got a number of couples We've, we've sort of tested and walked with them to sort of establish some training and, 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 and evaluation of their own relationship. And, and this is an opportunity for, to, for you to be like, you know what? I think there's some cracks in the wall. And I want to get these repaired before it requires a full rebuild or worse. Don't ignore the cracks in the foundation in, in marriage or any other area of your life. Get the mentoring and the care and the counsel. Come to God's word longing to apply it to your life. The the cost is so much less if you rebuild on a new foundation before the house falls. But even if the house has fallen, God's grace is extended to you. He's not intimidated by what's necessary to rebuild it. And what the beautiful thing is, is that God actually, when he rebuilds things, one of the things he does through trials is he actually rebuilds things even stronger. When is God ever afraid of a rebuild? So he's been doing since the redemptive story started playing out in the history of the world. And our church just wants to be a place where wisdom is accessed regularly from each other. In community groups and in fellowship with one another. Move more quickly to get counsel. I've got a meeting set up with one of our elders this week. Because there's some things I see in some ways that, that I'm leading that, that are, there's no water rushing in, but I'm like unchecked. I think that could be a problem. So l- let's have a conversation about that, right? No shame, no like, oh my goodness, what do you need that for? No, no, no none of that. I, I just, I just want to be faithful to what God says. He, and he calls us, move quickly to get counsel. Examine the foundations of your faith. Build wisdom slowly. Correct weakness quickly. Now let me close now by looking back at this passage and those last two verses. Because if we reflect back on what God's been doing through this whole Sermon on the Mount series, is he's been leading us to understand what it means to flourish in the kingdom of God. Not just exist in the kingdom of God, not just be around people who are in the kingdom of God, but I want to flourish. I want my roots down deep. I want God to be doing all the beautiful things that he wants to do. I want him to be doing that in my life. And, and so this series has, has prepared us for the character and the thinking and the actions found in the goodness of the kingdom. So we, we, we can't leave this sermon behind now that we've gotten to the last words of it. How should we, how should we respond to this sermon from Jesus in hold now? Looking back on this whole series Two key words in the last two verses. Let's look there and then I'm going to pray for this to be the reality of our response. Verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. 
The word astonished means amazed to the point of losing one's mental composure. It's like I was just made mad by them, by what I heard. I was blown away. I was stopped in my tracks. That's the picture here. We cannot, cannot shut the door on the Sermon on the Mount and be like, oh, that was a great Bible teaching that happened and just the distance between the truth of that and our lives just move forward. We have to stay astonished by this. And then, verse 29, it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And authority means Jesus wasn't like talking about these things like, hey, I just want to process through some truth with you today. Then we'll just, we'll kick it around and see where we land on this. No, he was proclaiming. He was declaring. He was announcing the truth. If you want to know how to respond moving forward to all that we've learned together in this series, we need to be a people who are astonished by the truth and recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. So the series might be over, but the disciples should stay under the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to encourage you, church, to come back here often, often. Let's pray together. God, I, I am astonished. I'm astonished by the timing of this series again. I'm astonished by the things that were happening in our church and I didn't even have the wisdom to see the connection. I didn't have the knowledge and the work of your spirit on my heart with this truth, from this truth, to, to even be able to see it. But you did. You always do. You're so faithful when I can't see. You have wisdom and perspective when I'm blind. You're, you're, you've torn out some things in our culture and you're repairing some foundations. Father, it's not a coincidence and I just want to declare it before you. It's not a coincidence that we literally reprocess the vision of our church while going through this series. And I can see your goodness to our church in that. But God, I want more than just a, a right vision for a church. I want, through the work of your word, this playing out in people's lives and in their homes and in their relationships. I want to see foundations torn down and rebuilt and us celebrate the whole way. I want God, and I'm asking that in places where there's been great brokenness, would you give people an authenticity that they would come and be like, this isn't right, and there's been a collapse, and would you help me rebuild it? God, give us a humility. You teach us that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So let us be a humble people with our foundations. Would you lead us to people who could evaluate our foundations? Would we be humble and teachable enough to, to listen carefully from your word and from others? To see and to repair, to rebuild, God, your grace is to us in all of that. Thank you, Lord, for this work. Continue to teach us and lead us that we might be the people you've called us to be, that we might be a people who are moving in every area of our life from an insecure foundation to a secure foundation so that we might build something that might be honoring to you and glorifying to you. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.